and welcome to the 50th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, I speak with Lizzie Crowley, Senior Skilled Policy Advisor for the CIPD, which is the professional body for HR and people development. Lizzie talks us through the UK skills agenda and how this links with the future of work and economic growth. We also discuss how the next generation can build a strong and resilient skill set. As Inesh Santos is away on her holidays, I'll be talking you through the news stories and the written issue on her behalf. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. I've got Lizzie Crowley and she is skills advisor for the CIPD, which is the professional body for HR and people development. How are you doing, Lizzie? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you and thanks for inviting me. I'm doing really well, apart from being a very gloomy and wet November day out there. Yeah, but we're going to light up the airwaves, <laughs> I'm sure, with the conversation that we're going to have. So no problem <laughs> there at all. So thank you so much for joining us today. So I'm going to start, if it's okay, by asking you if you could tell us all about yourself, Lizzie. Yeah, of course. So I studied sociology at Glasgow University and I graduated way back in the year 2000. After that, I worked for a few years, mostly in customer service roles, which really built, I think, some really valuable skill sets. However, it wasn't really what I was passionate about doing. So I decided that if I really wanted a career that would build on the elements of my education, which I really loved, that I needed to specialise. So as a result, I decided I would do a master's in social science research. And then following this, I actually started a PhD, which was investigating the rise of hidden unemployment in the UK. You know, the growth in a lot of people who are just exiting the labour market. But quite quickly, I realised that a career in academia really wasn't for me because it really involved a high level of specialisation. And I was more interested in the broader policy implications of research. So following that, I worked for around six years in economic development as a consultant, specialising in supporting local areas around their employment skills and growth strategies. And then I decided to shift tack again and joined a think tank where I predominantly led on research around youth unemployment and labour market inclusion. And then finally, around six years ago, I moved to the CIPD to join them as their senior skills policy advisor. And although academic consultant researcher and policy advisor might seem like very different careers, they actually use a very similar set of skills. So if we're trying to imagine you in your role on a day-to-day basis using those skills, what are we imagining you doing, Lizzie? Hmm, Well, it's relatively varied, but it essentially involves quite a lot of research. That would be a lot of desk-based stuff, analysing a lot of data, but also speaking to our members about the challenges that are facing them and also to employers more generally, reading a lot of other people's research, a lot of meetings externally and internally, public speaking opportunities, TV, radio and as today podcast work. And also engaging with policymakers, so in the government and civil servants, for instance, and trying to influence the public policy agenda. 
So I don't think there's ever been a more important time for the skills agenda, really. Has there? What's going on? What are the things that you're trying to influence? Yeah, it is such a huge topic area. And we'll have seen a lot in the press recently about employers really struggling to access the skills that they need to both grow and maintain their businesses. I think some of the biggest issues for us that we've been looking at recently is the extent to which there are alternative options for young people when they're entering the world of work. So we've looked recently at the extent to which graduates in the labour market are achieving the outcomes that they used to do in the past. And what we have actually find is that there's been a huge growth of graduates who are ending up in jobs that actually really don't require a degree to do them. So they're not really benefiting from their level of education. So There's a clear need for us to ensure that there's really strong vocational alternatives to skilled employment. I think one of the other big issues that we see, because we hear a lot also about technology and the extent to which this is reshaping work and driving the demand for new and higher skills. But I think one of the biggest issues that we've been pinpointing in that sphere is actually the increasing need to ensure that individuals have a really core set of of transferable skills. So while the pace of change and, and the work may be changing rapidly, it's actually some of these skills that are becoming the most important teamwork collaboration, creativity, problem solving, critical thinking. And so even when we get to situation that while jobs are changing rapidly is actually that these skill sets are becoming increasingly more important. However, we also know that actually it's these skills that employers quite often find the most difficult to access. So they the list in terms of the skills that are lacking amongst applicants to jobs, but also they top the list that employers identify as the skills that are lacking in their current workforce. So we've been doing a lot of work in that space, and I think it involves a lot of change a shift in behaviour that's required both in the education system, but also in how employers support and develop their people in the workplace. And there's a lot of talk at the moment in the UK economy about growth and the need for growth. So we need to marry up the skills to get the growth. But there's a lot of talk about shortages. So what sort of interventions do you think will help? One of the big problems is that we have an economy that's not really generating sufficient numbers of high-skilled employment opportunities. And that's why we see that actually a lot of graduates, as I mentioned before, are ending up in jobs that don't actually require a degree. So our recent research showed that 24% of security guards now have a degree. 30 years ago, that was 3%. So in terms of focusing on growth and ensuring that our economy is generating sufficient levels of high-skilled employment, we really need to focus by the government on industrial strategy and creating the conditions through which businesses create those types of employment opportunities. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So in terms of educators in schools and colleges, what sort of things do they need to be doing to equip their students for this new world of work and how early might they start? I think all of these things should start as early as possible, but obviously ensure that they're appropriate for young people at certain ages within the education system. In terms of what they should be doing to build the skills that are going to be needed in the future of work, young people need opportunities to engage with the world of work as early as possible. So that's ensuring that there's as many and as varied opportunities to engage with employers in a variety of ways. The spectrum can range from work experience opportunities, quite traditional way to learn about the world of work and the skills you need to enter it, but also shadowing, employer talks, 
I think it also really shines a, a light on the critical importance of better careers advice and guidance at school. Our research shows that the current system isn't really working very well at all. Most young people don't get to hear about apprenticeships, for instance, as an alternative to traditional university degree options. Young people aren't really being told at school about what the labour market looks like, jobs and salaries, career pathways, and how you might actually enter different types of occupations. Also, as I mentioned before, about the importance of broader transferable skills and not just kind of academic qualifications. And so ensuring that young people have an opportunity to engage in things like teamwork at school and in ensuring that they've got opportunities to problem solve and that they understand the relevance of those skills in a workplace, but also more broadly for resilience in life, because those are the things that we all need to navigate both work, but also to support you across your life course. And I think also it's important to get away from the idea that learning stops when you leave compulsory education. A lot of other European countries, people continue to learn across their life courses. But in the UK, we kind of stop once we leave full-time education. I certainly didn't twig this probably till university time, but that whole idea of capturing examples of when you've done stuff, when I've led a team, when I've solved a problem, when I've done all of these things, it's almost like you pick them up further on through your life or through your career. You get really good examples for job interviews and things. So this is a time when I did this, or this is a time when I did this. But sometimes you don't necessarily pick those skills up until you're a little bit further through your career or maybe further through your education. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I think it's how do we support young people translate actually what they do know and their experiences into the language of employers is often a bit of a disconnect there. And I think that the responsibility is partly on employers to demystify that process a bit and help young people translate what they've learned in school or through extracurricular activities or through their volunteering into the language of employers and what they're expecting in the interview process, as you say, being able to identify examples where you've led or worked within a team setting. And that segues us into the next question, Lizzie. So on the flip side, for the recruiters who are looking to find this future talent and build their pipelines and connect in new ways, what are some of the good ways that you've come across of recruiters doing it really well and engaging with this future talent in a really clever way? I think one of the key things that recruiters need to be doing more of, just a lot of them are, is beginning to look beyond academic qualifications, particularly for those entry-level positions. So rethinking the entry requirements for their roles, not just screening by qualifications to ensure that actually you're casting your net as wide as possible. These bring huge benefits to your organisation in terms of diversity and so on. I think linked to that, it's ensuring that actually there are a variety of entry or stepping in places to your business. So thinking about how do I diversify my early careers routes? What are the different types of programs versus apprenticeship programs? And linked to that, how can I engage more effectively with schools and colleges to ensure that both you're making young people aware of your organisation and the range of opportunities in it, but also connecting more broadly through providing maybe 
placements for T-level students or work experience opportunities. So I think a lot of those types of activities can enable an employer to both make themselves more attractive to young talent, but also to ensure that you're providing a range of opportunities for young people to enter and progress within your organisation. And do you think as well, connection and purpose for the next generation seems to be something that's really becoming more and more important, this idea of companies as good corporate citizens and that companies really live their values and really deliver on their promises? Yeah, I would agree that a lot of employers need to think more creatively about how they communicate their purpose, particularly to young people. But it's always been important. And I think the way in which employers structure their work is the flexibility that they can offer can benefit the whole of the workplace. I'm certainly noticing a lot more organisations are using social media more creatively and you're getting a real sense of what the organisation is like. So a lot of corporates will have Instagram accounts now where you can actually see a lot more about what it's like to work in an organisation and to get a feel for it and kind of try before you buy type thing. But in terms of candidates and setting themselves apart, so I think we've touched on this a little bit already, but I really feel for parents, guardians that look after our young people, because there's so many new things. What sort of things can candidates do to set themselves apart? There's an important area around ensuring that young people have actually opportunities to build a lot of the skills that employers are looking at through activities like social action and volunteering, but also through opportunities for paid employment whilst in education. So jobs during the summer holidays or or Saturday jobs, there's some really great evidence which shows that clear protective benefits that doing that whilst you're in your education system has in terms of reduction of future likelihood of becoming unemployed and also the potential in future earnings. So I think things are really critical. And unfortunately, a lot of young people, I mean, much less today than it was when I was in school, have those opportunities. There's been a massive decline in young people combining education and employment. Those are really critical things. Social action and volunteering can have similar benefits to young people in building their skill sets. From a parent's perspective, it is challenging to keep on top of changes in the world of work. And it can be quite daunting when you hear news articles which say, you know, 85% of the jobs that young people will be in haven't been created yet. However, that figure is actually not true. We do know a lot about the shape of the future labour market and the vast majority of jobs that exist now will exist when your child leaves the education system. If we look at some of the biggest growth areas, they'll be in the health and care sector, as an example. And although those jobs may look slightly different as technology reshapes certain aspects of that role, in many cases that they will look quite similar to the jobs we have now. So so don't get too daunted by news stories about automation, technological change and the pace of change. That would be one of my pieces of advice for parents but also make sure you understand about the diversity of options a lot of the parents just think that I should encourage my kid to go to university and that'll be their route to future success but there are a range of opportunities and we recently asked young people in a survey who had degrees if there'd been apprentices available when they were at school would would they been open to choosing that instead and well over half said 
that they would have been. So I think understand the range of things that are out there. Ensure that you're talking to each other about what are the things that they enjoy actually doing. And yeah, as I said, support and encourage them to take advantage of opportunities outside of school to build those really critical skills that will set everyone up for success in the labour market. Communications, teamwork, problem solving, the things that I mentioned at the start of this discussion. I think that's absolutely right. But I think it's that having something that you really care about as well, isn't it? That you're really passionate about something could be out of education whatever it is, but that will give you those skills to then use for when you're applying for things and when you, you're wanting to refer back to stuff. So it almost doesn't matter what you do, as long as there's something that you care about that you do, that you can then use to and give examples. I don't know if we're about the same sort of age, Lizzie, but I got given at school a national, I think it was a, was it a national record of achievement. And it was basically, oh, it was a, yes. it was a, do you remember your big maroon folder? It was like a big wine menu, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, and I've seen somebody <laughs> posted one of those on social media the other day. I put my GCSEs and my A-level certificates in there, but uh, it's almost like going back to that. It, so I think we've probably moved past those in the world of employment, <laughs> but that idea of having things that you keep hold of capturing examples of when you've done something so maybe for young people if they're able to investigate what skills are needed and then think about capturing well there was a time when I did this at school there was a time when I did this there was a time when I did this and you're getting yourself ready for those things amazing so Lizzie with the CIPD it seems there's loads of really rich information there that people can pick up on and people can follow so encouraging people then to look at the website and also to follow on social media to keep an eye on what, all the things that's going on at the moment. Yeah, I really recommend that people do that. We've got a huge range of resources on our website and they cover everything to do with the world of work. So not just skills. So please do keep an eye out. Happy to have any additional follows on LinkedIn and Twitter. So coming to the end of the interview, Lizzie, what is coming up next for you? What are you excited about? That can be in work, that can be out of work, that can be whatever you like. It can just be a rest if you want it to be that. Well, I'm actually really excited about this piece of work coming up where we're going to be looking at some of the issues facing the Welsh skills system. It's always really interesting for me, and this sounds very kind of policy wonky to look at how other areas are tackling some of the big challenges that we're facing and given that education and skills evolve policy issues I was really excited to be able to look at how the nations in the UK are approaching some of the skill challenges that they're facing because skills and education are devolved matters I mostly deal with the English system so I always find it fascinating and really kind of valuable in terms of a learning experience to understand about how how some of the challenges that we're seeing in an English context are being tackled in the other nations of the UK. There's also a big piece of work that I'm really excited about is actually carrying on our work with this organization called Skills Builders. So we've been working with them about how to map out and clearly define the essential transferable skills that are going to be critically important in the future of work. And they've been doing some fantastic work in the education space to ensure that young people are given lots of opportunities to build their skills whilst in education. But the next step for us, given that a lot of employers say that staff lack these key skills is how do we support our members help their organizations build these skill sets in their employees and the other thing i'm excited about is that i'm going to a nation of language gig this thursday well it's been a great pleasure thanks so much for inviting me always great to talk about these issues thank you so much 
As our associate editor, Inesh Santos, is off on her holidays, I'm here to tell you all about the new stories in our latest written issue, which showcases careers of the future. The stories include Managing Director of Management Consultancy and Apprenticeship Training Provider, Why Change? Emma Harrison shares how learning face-to-face through an apprenticeship provides learners with a safe environment to practice their skills amongst a supportive cohort of others. She explains how there's a focus on personal development and how that makes a massive difference in being able to elevate yourself within your environment if you are feeling misrepresented or you come from a group that is underrepresented. Lisa Somerville, System Architect at Visor Dynamics and Computer Science PhD researcher at the University of Hull Energy and Environment Institute, discusses using tech to save the planet. Lisa reminds us there is no planet B, so we need to take very good care of this one. Jane Rex is a PhD research student in the Theoretical Nuclear Physics Group at the University of Surrey. She talks us through her PhD project, which is about developing quantum computing algorithms to solve problems in many-body nuclear physics. Jane explains what quantum computing is and why it is such a high-growth area. She also discusses exploding the stereotype of the lone male genius in science. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link to the show on social media and also follow the show. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. We're on a break now for the holidays, but join us for our Women of Colour episode in January, where we showcase dynamic women who are shining in their respective fields. Until then, happy holidays, and we look forward to catching up with you in 2023.